Paypan Report, and I'm your host, Maureen Aylward. Our topic is Ben Butler at the Gloucester Stage Company. And here with me is MJ Boylan, a resident expert on Ben Butler and also a member of the board of the Gloucester Stage, and Ames Adamson, who was playing the lead role as uh, General Benjamin Butler, and Doug Bowen Flynn, who plays Lieutenant Kelly. Welcome to Cape Man Report. Thank I'm you. Thank you so nice much. to be here. I'm so excited to have you here. Of course, it's the 40th anniversary year of the Gloucester Stage yeah. Company, which is really remarkable for a local in, or local institution, really, cultural institution here. Um, and to have such an amazing play like Ben Butler that has local roots. So let's start with the namesake of the play, Ben Butler. And MJ, I'm going to throw this to you first, but I thought we'd talk a little bit about the man. Um, give us a sense of who Benjamin Butler was. And then we'll talk about the character of Benjamin Butler in the play. All right, first of all, I want to emphasize I'm not an expert on Ben Butler. I'm an avid student of Ben Butler. I, um, I became interested in him, um, well, a long time ago because a friend of mine is his great-great-grandson. And um, when we, we decided to do the play, uh, I wanted to learn more about him. And so I've been studying him intently for the last uh, year, I guess, and it's been fun. He is a really uh, dense character. He, he was one of the 19th century's great American men. He was uh, the most, probably the most accomplished lawyer in Massachusetts. He was a five-time congressman, having run for Congress for the first time from a tent in Bayview. <laughs> He was uh, governor of Massachusetts. It took him seven times to get there, but he did it. He almost became president because Lincoln asked him to run uh, for re-election with him, you know, in the second election, 1864, and he, he refused. But he did participate uh, as lead counsel in the impeachment trial of Andrew Johnson. He was also a, a, a businessman and, uh, and a military man. Uh, which is what the, the play is about. And uh, in terms of business, he owned a lot of mills in Lowell, which is where he grew up. But he summered here in Bayview. He, um, he came to Gloucester initially uh, just out of college. He went to what's now Colby College. Uh, as we find out in the play, he didn't, he didn't go to West Point. No. <laughs> um, but uh, he came to Gloucester one summer and, and was a crew member on a fishing schooner. And he had been kind of a, a weak, slight young man, child. And uh, after that summer, he, he really filled out and became a, you know, a serious uh, physical presence. Uh, and that's how he first learned a, about Gloucester. And he, he settled here later as a summer resident when he acquired a vast amount of property in Bayview as a, um, as a fee from a client who couldn't pay his bill. And actually, Butler is the one who named Bayview. Really? Yeah. That's so, so fascinating. It's nice to be able to claim him. I thought of him, you know, historically as a Lowell fellow, and he really, he was, and also a Washington guy, but he's a Cape Ann guy too. Right. Yeah. And he owned the Cape Ann Granite Company. That's right. Um, we'll get to that a little bit later. But Ames, playing uh, General Benjamin Butler in the play, um, tell me what that was like with getting to know both about him as a man and also the preparation that you've gone through to play his character? I'll say that uh, I was given the script however many years ago, I can, couldn't tell you. Now. You've played like, him three times. Three times. Three I different played productions. Him three times. Let's get but I was given there. the script to read, and uh, we scheduled at the New Jersey Rep 
in Long Branch a table read with some actors and producers and stage management and stuff like that. And we, I read it. Oh, what is this about? Oh, this is good. And we did the read and I was hooked. Just based on the most cursory information, like a Wikipedia article or something like that, and the play. Uh, and then they cast me right after the reading for the show. So I did buy the book Stormy Ben Butler, which was uh, really uh, very useful in understanding just where he came from and what he was about and what he did. But as an actor, all of that stuff is great and very useful, and you can get a lot of psychology or psychological understanding about a person, but you really have just the confines of the script or the framework of the script to, uh, to use. Um, so all of that prep, I think, goes in, and then you just have those words and that little world that you have to deal with, and I think it, it colors everything that we do, or I do at least, mm -hmm. in preparing um, the man as far as I know. It's a terrific script. It's really dynamic oh, yes. and very well written. It, he, the character just jumps off the page at you. They all do. They're all really very well written, very distinct characters. Very much so. And it, of course we have Lieutenant Kelly, Benjamin Butler, Shepard Mallory, who is a real person like Benjamin Butler. Lieutenant Kelly isn't. Uh, he's a fictional character. And uh, Major John B. Carey of the Confederacy, who was a real person. And Every one of these guys are so distinct and exciting, mm -hmm. and what they have to say is interesting and fun and serious and just now, witty. And I'll say what Richard Strand, the playwright, has done this great job of creating this um, recreation of this scenario, but there's, uh, there's humor in the show, quite a bit, right. actually, which much of it is Richard Strand's, but some of it's historically accurate, which is mm -hmm. the Stormy Ben Butler book surprised me. Mm. The, the just sort of sardonic humor of Ben Butler, the man. Who's so Doug, I have a question for you. Could you take us through the play up and you know, take us through everything you can tell us about what happens. Um, I, I don't want you to give anything away, of course, because so, I know this, the play is still happening, but could you give us the context and set this, Set the stage, you know, set so the, the table for us. The, the story it. begins, we discover in the very first, second, sorry, second line of the play yeah. <laughs> that, um, that uh, Virginia has seceded. So they are now officially, by their standards, not part of America. And three runaway slaves have shown up at Fort Monroe. This is all, a, this is all more or less historically accurate. Mm -hmm. That timeline really was almost that close. Um, looking for sanctuary. So either they want to just get away from the Confederacy uh, or they want to join the, the Union, but this is the scenario. And then the play builds around the, the meetings between uh, Shepard Mallory and uh, Ben Butler as they get to know each other and comes to this point of crisis about what's, what is Ben Butler going to do? Because if he sends this person back, it will go very, very badly. Um, and, and if he doesn't send him back, he's violating the U.S. Constitution, the um, uh, Fugitive, Slave, Fugitive Act. Slave Act, and Lincoln's uh, own promise not to interfere with slavery. Um, and so he's really up against it. Uh, and 
just as a historical bit, this is not in the play, Ben Butler had already gotten in trouble because he put down an uprising in Baltimore that cost him his commission in Baltimore. And that's how he ended up at Fort Monroe uh, in the first place. He sounds so. like a troublemaker. He's the sort of person that wasn't afraid of going out on moral and political limbs. He, he did champion in his life a lot of causes that weren't popular. Uh, outside of the, the play, he was, he was a proponent of women's suffrage and paper currency and lots of things that weren't, weren't very popular. In the, in the play, the, the, the move he makes is very exciting. And you could say it changes the course of history, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, yeah, yeah, it really does. I mean, it, it, it becomes the basis. What, what he does becomes the basis for everything that follows. Emancipation. Emancipation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's important to note, too, that this is the 400th anniversary of the first Africans arriving in America at the point where Shepard Mallory essentially came to oh, well. Fortress Monroe. Right. Um, and this was sort of the beginning of slavery in America and really kind of the, the germ for the end of slavery in America mm -hmm. at this point. So this, this that's like the critical heart of the play, it sounds like, is it dealing with this issue again, you know, looking at um, slavery, looking at race relations mm -hmm. and, and, um, and, and that the back and forth between Shepard Mallory and Benjamin Butler. And um, I mean, this isn't, this, this, the play sounds totally relevant to today. Um, and what do you say to that? Like, what, what, what makes it relevant for you as actors and also for the audience who's viewing there it? So many things. Shepard Mallory has a great line in the play where he says, you two are getting ready to, the North and the South are getting ready to kill each other because they see things differently. Right? That's the only thing that ever really matters is people see, people do horrible things because they see things differently is more or less the statement he makes. And I think that is so uh, encapsulating of our situation today um, where But in people this see play, differently. people are able to fight through those differences and mm -hmm. see things from a different point of view than they had before, which is incredibly important. But I wanted to say one thing, and that is the notion that a person, that a human being is property mm. or chattel or an object, I think is very relevant today. Um, we have people coming into the country uh, illegally and um, seeking asylum. Seeking asylum, legally seeking, seeking asylum, who are being treated as objects, not as human beings. And the, for me, that's important. Mm -hmm. uh, the thought that a human being would be considered a piece of property owned by another person is just terrifying. Um, well, it, it, it's in, it's quite literally dehumanizing, right. yes. and and the and the play to actually the play actually starts out that way. Um, General Butler doesn't want to talk to Shepard Mallory. He's no. too busy. And besides, what on what on earth could he have to say? to a slave. What possible conversation could they have that would be of interest to him? This is something for other people to, to handle, certainly not There's him. a law and the law is clear. They must be returned. And it, will, it opens an enormous can of worms and is a huge pain for him <laughs> if he deals with this, yeah. which is, is very much what we're dealing with in America today at the border. Oh, yeah, if, if, if we take these people in, that opens a whole other can of worms. But we have this 
you, know, you have to ask yourself, if you were in 1861, would you be the one who would send Shepard Mallory back to the Confederacy? Because mm -hmm. it really is. He's, he's coming from, at this time, the foreign nation of Virginia to America to seek asylum. And if you were that enslaved person, would you do everything in your power to get away from that condition? Or would you just submit to it? Um, I think those are important points, mm -hmm. too. Because certainly we celebrate slaves who, who were able to get away. I mean, that is, a, yes. you know, historically, we, we, you know, and we, we see this all through. We, we see this with um, Jews trying to get here from Germany and being turned away. Mm. Right. Um, so we, we, you know, this, this, this is a theme you, you mentioned. And the relevance is clear. Yes. It's, right? hard, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to say no to someone whose story you know whose yes. life becomes familiar. When he's just a runaway slave, it's easy for Butler mm. to, to say no and, dismiss, and dismiss him. him. Once he gets to know him, and this is, what make, this is why the play is so good, the, the humanity of these two men is they get to know each other and, and as they break down one another's preconceptions of, one, of each other. It, it's a fascinating story in how two very intelligent men with who happen to disagree on something, <laughs> you know, how, how they come to this mutual respect. And, and actually, I, I think they, they, uh, they like each other. <laughs> I, I have a question about the power of theater. I mean, obviously, all three of you are really committed to theater. It's your jobs. Um, and MJ, this is a passion for you. You're a lawyer. Yeah. Um, and uh, also Ben Butler connection, but the power of theater to be able to provoke and insert um, learning into the audience, but you know, and and why people need to go to the theater, I guess, to have these experiences. A lot of us um, are on our phones. We watch television. There's so many other choices. Why go to the theater to see something like this? Ames. Well, um, we're human beings, and. Uh, the, 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 the act of storytelling is the most human uh, uh, thing, uh, certainly. And to go into a space where there are other human beings telling you a story is um, very, very powerful. And it can be a musical, and it can be a, a, an O'Neill piece or Shakespeare or whatever, but you're seeing another human being, a live person, uh, telling a story telling you a story. And that's our basic form of communication. And we, we supplant that with a, with a box, with a device or a television, or um, we isolate ourselves, essentially. So I think going to a common place where other human beings are, to hear a story being told is the most uh, primitive, basic, wonderful thing that we do as sentient beings. Mm -hmm. Doug? And there's a, a connection that happens in live theater as, uh, as, as film goes more and more for the world of reality or heightened reality. With, you know, we're going to make the CGI and we're going to have you know, 3D. And, and, and um, you know, I, I've taken students to the theater for the first time and their comments, it's so real. It, it, it actually is the next, you know, you think we've had theater forever or yeah, forever. Uh, and all these other media came out that supplanted theater in, in many ways. And now theater is the thing that actually taps into more than what a two-dimensional representation can do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I, I wanted to touch on that because, one, we have the Gloucester stage here uh, and some other theater uh, groups that are present, um, Rogers Street Theater and the Cape Ann Shakespeare group. Um, and so we do have theater here, and it's so, it, we have theater in the schools here on Cape Ann too, that's a big yeah. thing. But that connection is so powerful, especially to see a professional production like this. And um, uh, a, a question about the production itself. Um, let's go into, will you take us in, peek, peek behind the curtain a little bit? Because I, I like the behind the scenes pieces. There are some stories that you can tell us about what it's like um, backstage or maybe when you're preparing for this particular show or, I don't know. what. Can you take us backstage for a minute? <laughs> well, the, the can I just say the clothes look uncomfortable? Are no, they? No, They're no, not. Oh, good. They I've shouldn't be. Well, they should the, feel the like clothes. Depends on how warm the theater gets on any right. given night. <laughs> I've got I've got about four inches of padding, which I don't oh. really need uh, as I get older, but uh, it's there. Um, an undershirt, um, foam padding, a lycra cover, a cotton shirt, a vest, and a wool coat and trousers wow. with suspenders. It looks like a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. Um, no wonder why you're exhausted at the yeah, end of the yeah, play. Yeah, it's a long, <laughs> long, hot performance, that's for sure. And I've got two sets of, of the underclothes, so, um, because they're just drenched by the time I get mm -hmm, out. Mm -hmm. um, we have a picture in the theater that, uh, I, I, it's, uh, it's, a math, it's a copy of a Matthew Brady photo. And um, <laughs> I, I ordered it because I was I, I read in one of the biographies that Butler was a, a sort of a flamboyant dresser and, and was very particular about his clothes and he always wore a fresh boutonniere and he tended to wear evening clothes tended to wear evening clothes even in the daytime, but that he wore carpet slippers with his military uniform and in this photograph, yes. yeah, but you don't get to do that. No, we talked about it, we <laughs> tried to find it's, opportunity. It's a little dangerous, you know. Uh, oh, to have carpet slippers out, out oh, on stage? In this particular production, it would be mm -hmm. a little less than safe. Yeah, yeah. So, um, good, steady, sturdy shoes are fine, <laughs> you know. Especially if you're at like a fort, right? And there's mud outside. Yes, I, I will <laughs> say about backstage and getting ready real quick and that is, uh, I have, uh, uh, in previous productions, I'd worn wigs, and so there was a great deal of work that had to happen before I got the wig on, with makeup on my face and, and dressing and whatnot, but uh, I, my dad is in a assisted living and can never come see me in something, so I videotaped myself getting ready and sped it up, putting the makeup on and then eventually the wig, and then I'd start to feel physically different and my voice changes and I get the coat buttoned up and I growl a little bit and I, I'm ready to be him. Um, those are exciting moments, you know, and just before we go out we always speak to one another and words of encouragement and whatnot and uh, it's like going into battle in a way, you know. I've heard from some actors that they they really feel that they inhabit the role when there's they have something that happens like it's for some actors it's the right shoes or oh or, it's very true yeah. yeah Doug do you have a story like that well you know for this particular production the um, there's some very tricky language play that happens throughout and uh, Joe Disher our, our director spent a week uh, doing table work how long would you say we were doing so, table, yeah, almost five week, days yeah, maybe uh, and out of a two and a half week rehearsal process just going through the, the tightness of the language so that as we're 
working on it, we're getting those little connections all the way through. Um, so that was actually my, my, my favorite part of the process. But you know, I, I'm one of those people who works from the intellectual in, and so I, I certainly fall into that situation of, of trying to un understand in a cerebral way everything about the character that I can, and then I get on the set and I have, oh, look at the costume. <laughs> and, and suddenly things start to change and you know the, the rigidity, the West Point rigidity kicks in more. We um, depend, we can't do what we do really without an audience. Mm -hmm. It is absolutely essential. Um, that food you give me uh, as an audience nurtures me on stage, you know, I'm, uh, and we can come alive. So uh, different from film, you know, the things can be done with the, in the editing uh, to make something seem one way, but we really depend on people, and we were itching oh, yeah, to we have were. an audience. Yeah, we after all that rehearsal and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk, mm -hmm. it was so exciting. We've had some marvelous audiences. And, too. And, and, and we, you know, every audience, you, you came multiple times, very you get it, is slightly different or <laughs> significantly different. different show based on what the audience is giving us because we respond in the moment to what is happening in that relationship between the audience and, and the performance. And mm -hmm. when the, the, the day that the massive portion of the Butler family <laughs> was there, oh, yeah. it was, a, it was a, such a different feel because all of a sudden we're t telling their family's story, which is different yeah. than somebody from the outside coming in and being like, oh, this is a story I didn't know. These guys all know the story. <laughs> well, this is a fascinating thing about Cape Ann, so I'll just bring it around to a local thing with a few minutes that we have left um, and, and talk about the Cape Ann connection. So you, you've had Butler's descendants right there in front of you oh, as yeah. part of the audience. It's amazing. And also you've done some other work. You had a talk at the Cape Ann Museum mm. and MJ. MJ um, led a beautiful discussion yeah, there. A beautiful so. discussion. And, um, can you tell me a little bit about what that was like um, to have this collection of folks who live here, descendants, family, they know the story, they have artifacts of Butler in their family? I don't, I, I, I don't know all the dis descendants, of course, there's a, a lot of them, but I have met a number of them. They're all individually uh, interesting, very intelligent people, and they all, in one way or the other, feel a real fondness for and loyalty to their ancestor. And it's, it's, the, it's their common bond. And um, he was a controversial figure. He had a lot of political enemies and people wrote terrible things mm -hmm. about him, things that persist to this day. I, I take a more generous view, and I think, I think Butler's descendants do too. But they were very, um, very excited that this play was coming to Gloucester and um, that, that uh, they could uh, you know, share Share him. That's yeah, great. I, you know, there's a uh, there's something about Massachusetts being at the forefront of change uh, that you know, I've noticed since I've lived here. But Butler really embodies a part of that. I mean, not only did he, he, so he do this, he also wrote the act banning the Ku Klux Klan. He wrote the first Civil Rights Act of 1875 that was thrown out by the Supreme Court several years later, but you know, the, the really being more than 100 years ahead of... The 10-hour workday was the, another the one ten of hour his... Oh, yes. Yeah, the um, workers' rights, and he, he, just remarkable. He was a champion uh, of the I'd underdog. He couldn't before. help himself. That was the way he always saw himself, 
was. Is that why this moment in time, this little slice that you're uh, exploring in the play, is th that's that's the point at which maybe all of this stuff started happening because it was such like. I think it started early in his life, earlier than that. But moving into moving to Lowell and um, humble circumstances, a mother running a. Yeah. Uh, a rooming house and seeing these and young women. And she was a single mother too, right? Yes, her husband, her his husband father had... died of typhoid, wasn't it? And he had kids he as he a was, privateer um, or something or like that. You, you, you might call him a pirate. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll say privateer <laughs> for our relations of Butler out there. But you know, I think he, I, I always think of, I, th I think very fondly of Benjamin Franklin Butler to be sure. But I think his ability to be taught by circumstance is one of the aspects of his personality, of his being, that is most attractive to me. That he was not a rigid, um, I will never change type of person. He may have come off that way, but he was gathering information, I think like an attorney does, and building a case um, either to change his mind and the way he lived or to remain uh, in a particular frame of mind. You see this dynamic definitely played out during in, the play. You yes. watch him uh, grow and change and his, his lawyer's background and it's also just his sense of fairness and humanity yes. that, that drives the change. I agree. But, and there's humor in the play too. Oh, Let's yes. touch Very on that funny. because there's this battle of the wits that, that happens in the play that is um, and laughing in a very serious subject and moment like this. Um, what is it like to use humor or to balance that humor between the seriousness of the topic and the moral dilemma, and then this this fun um, humor side of things? You deal with this more directly, but I I, I feel like you know, audiences dealing with a serious subject matter, if you're preaching to them, become less receptive. Right? Everybody loves somebody who makes them laugh. And so if you can open up to the humor, the, the more serious stuff actually, I think, resonates more, more strongly. Um, and it's not dark humor. Uh, it's not making a joke about slavery. It is the wit of the language um, in the crafting of the play so that the first scene uh, is a, a long, it isn't long, but it is a, a long setup for the rest of the play. And all of these little, they're like, we're hiding Easter eggs, and the audience gets to find them in the second, third, fourth, and fifth scenes of the play, in the first half and the second half, particularly in the second half. They discover, oh, I remember that, I heard that, <laughs> and all of the other stuff that happened before has informed that moment. You know, this is no um, dry history lesson. You know, this is a historic event, but it's not homework. It, no. And what makes it that way is because it, it is really because the people are so real, and that's one of the things the audience is responding to is they recognize they recognize themselves in these characters. They, rec they recognize people they know. They 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 make an assumption like Butler that the slave is going to be something. And as he reveals himself, it, it, it catches everyone off guard. And it's, um, it's really a wonderful journey, this play. It's great. 
That's wonderful. The MJ Boylan, thanks for being with us and bringing all your insight. And Ames Adamson, thanks for uh, being here and playing Benjamin Butler and Doug Bowen Flynn. DBF. DBF. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, that's all the time we have on KPN Report. Check us out on social media, 1623 Studios. Until the next time on KPN Report, take care.